0: You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Wednesday's in September at 7 o'clock, and I also want to encourage, if you're newer to the church and you're looking for a place to connect, like, how do I get to know people here? How do I connect into the body? Wednesday nights at what time? There you go. It's 7 p.m. This Bible study is just an awesome time for us to not only dive into God's Word and hold one another accountable through it, but an opportunity for us to get to know one another in the body of Christ because what we do is at the end of the video series, we gather into small groups, go through the questions, process it together, and also get to know one another. So I want to challenge you to come on out Wednesday nights at what time? At 7 p.m. Awesome. Are you ready for God's Word this morning, church? Amen. 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 Hey, I want to give um, kudos to to a few different groups out there as we turn to Ephesians chapter four this morning. That's Ephesians chapter four. Um, Over the past couple works, we've been discussing the fivefold ministry gifts, the gifts that Jesus has given to the church for the sake of building up the church and equipping the church. Well, real quick, who's the church? We are. So these gifts are used to build and equip us to do what? To serve Him, to do the work that He's called us to do. And over the past couple weeks, we've been going through these categories of gifts. And I just want to brag on our church for a moment. Um, Week one, I believe we started with uh, evangelism. And last week, I was overwhelmed with the amount of people that said, Hey, come on up to me and meet my friend, my neighbor, my coworker, my family member. Like, we're already on the pathway to evangelism. Praise God. Like, that is incredible, and then week two, we end up having individuals come up, and I've been so blessed by the various phone calls, emails, and even knocks on my office door that I get of people saying, hey, that gift of, of prophecy, the gift of God using me as a mouthpiece of speaking to me, but also through me. How, how, do, I, how do I dive into that more? How do I do that? And today, um, can we just give it out for Amanda Russo for being obedient to that? She'll be preaching for me next week. Um, just found out now, so praise God. Uh, but just individuals who are being obedient to those promptings, and I just want to challenge you, church like, that's what we're called to do. Amen. Not just be hearers of the word, but doers. And doers, sometimes it takes risk. It takes stepping out in faith, but it also takes, you know, going to a mentor, going to somebody who's mature in Christ and seeking wisdom and guidance. And that's the habit that our church has fallen into. And that is just beautiful. So just one more time, can we give it up for, for just the obedience that's taken place and just God's faithfulness? Amen. The fivefold ministry gifts given to the church are the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Again, that's the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And we sometimes look at these gifts as different areas of ministry in the church, as if they're kind of like these are ministry departments. And I want to challenge you as we have gotten in the habit of doing over the past couple weeks, that these ministry gifts really aren't things, they're people. That, that, that you and I could be the gift to the body of Christ for example we have to entertain the the question what if God wants to use me as an apostle a prophet an evangelist pastor teacher what if you are that gift to the church that God wants to start using you in that um, ministry way so that you can equip and help the body of Christ and often you and I have have two things that stop us from fulfilling that call one unrealistic expectations which is what we've been teaching about again over the past couple weeks trying to define what these ministry gifts are but number two is we base God's calling on our qualifications and can I tell you that if our calling is based off of qualifications you and I are never going to make it it's never going to happen none of us are qualified but what God does is he calls those into ministry and then he qualifies them God does not call the qualified God qualifies the called And an example of this that we see is is the simple story of David. David is called to be king. And where does God send him after he receives his calling? Y'all better start being interactive or I will leave. Where does David go after God calls him? He goes back to the farm. He goes back to the fields. And what ends up happening is he ends up battling a lion, a tiger, and bear. Oh, my. All right, maybe just a lion and bear. But he goes and he battles and he fends off a lion and a bear from attacking the flock, which serves as a prerequisite for him to face bigger giants. What ended up happening was God called him based on the qualification of willingness. If you and I are just willing, if you and I just posture ourselves with a heart that says, God, whatever you call me to, I will, it opens up the door of heaven. Not only in your life, but in others' lives as he begins to use you and you bring heaven to earth by by showing the light of Christ wherever you go and by preaching and proclaiming his word and however he uses you in one of these five-fold ministry areas. Can I challenge you, church, this morning to open up the door of possibility for God to do something in and through your life by simply saying right here, right now, God, if you call me to it, I will do it. Amen. Amen, church? Can that be how we posture ourselves for his word this morning? That you could possibly be the one that God wants to use to impact the church, to impact others, to change the world. Open up that door of possibility by having a heart of willingness. Because again, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. We're continuing this series on the fivefold ministry gifts by focusing and studying today on the gift of pastoral ministry. I believe wholeheartedly that there could be individuals here that God has postured you, prepared you, whatever may have happened that he has presented you for such a time as this, that you may very, may, very well may end up going into full-time ministry. You may be, it may be in not in that capacity, but the point is, is that you're called to be a pastor to some, to some area of ministry, whatever it may be. And we're going to define that a little bit this morning. But again, I want to go back to the first point, posture yourself in such a way that you say, God, if you call me to it, I'm going to do it. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. That's verses 11 through 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants, "'Tossed back and forth by the waves "'and blown here and there by every wind of teaching "'and by the cunning and craftiness of people "'and their deceitful scheming. "'Instead, speaking the truth in love, "'we will grow to become in every respect "'the mature body of him, "'who is the head, and that is Christ.'" From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and build itself up in love as each part does its work. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. And God, I pray this morning that once again, as we gather here together in your name, that as we read and listen to your word, God, that it would become a real-life experience. Lord, that it would take root in our lives and that there would be fruit that comes out of this that we never could have imagined because you are the God of the harvest. So have your way here today, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. The fivefold ministry gifts given to the church, the one that we're talking about today, as I already mentioned, is pastor. Pastor. We're going to discuss this because, well, there's a few reasons. One, I feel like sometimes we have unrealistic expectations for what a pastor does or what he should look like or what he or she is called to do. So that's reason number one. And reason number two is I've already discussed, I believe that there are pastors sitting here today. Turn to your neighbor and say, you could be one. So we're like, no, no, no. Don't shut it down. We just talked about leaving the door open. The word pastor, let's define what pastor is so that you and I can understand that. The word pastor is translated from the Greek word poimen, which means shepherd. Pastor literally means shepherd. Pastor is a functional title of the shepherd. It is what he does. He or she is a steward, a manager of God's resources in Jesus' flock. It means that they are the feeder, protector, and ruler of the flock of men. Paul says that these gifts bring the body of Christ into maturity, and he gives these different um, 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 different analogies where he's saying, once you were an infant and you were tossed to and from, but now you're maturing Christ. And the reason why I feel it, it's it's necessary to point out this specifically is because there's a lot of parallels between what Paul. talking about and what a pastor is called to do, and that's to bring the body of Christ into maturity. Is this making sense this morning? Don't get quiet on me. What is an infant in Christ? Paul says it's someone who's tossed back and forth by the waves of various doctrines and beliefs, running from every wind of teaching and falling into the craftiness of people. Can I tell you that this verse, this point has come to life over the past couple years? With all of the different false doctrines that have come to service and here's what's so scary about these false doctrines is often they hijack and steal a Christian principle and then use it for a godless purpose. Right. And what's ended up happening over the past couple years is there have been many Christians who have been deceived because they followed a secular movement and by secular I mean godless. It has nothing to do with Christ. And they've started following a secular belief because they hijacked a Christian principle and then used it for an alternative purpose. Paul's saying that those who are new to Christ, those who aren't mature in their relationship with Christ, that they kind of follow these movements. That whatever comes to surface, their doctrine, that they're, they're just going after it, that they're dedicating themselves. Whereas Paul is saying those who are mature in Christ, they're so familiar with Jesus, they're familiar enough with his word that they can tell a counterfeit. You know how bank tellers study for counterfeits? They study the authentic cash bills. They don't go through all of the false ones. They look at the real ones so that they're able to tell and not be deceived by a false one. So it is with Jesus. That when you and I are close enough to Jesus, when we're investing into our relationship, when we're running after him, when we're digging into the word of God, you and I are therefore enabled, empowered to be able to tell what is a counterfeit what is not of him, what tries to deceive us. And Paul would say that those who are able to understand by filtering the world and doctrines and truth through the word of God, if they're able to filter it through the word of God, that that would qualify them as a mature Christian because they're not shaken by all these different doctrines. In this analogy, Paul is specifically addressing false doctrine that most mature Christians in Jesus know is false it's kind of like this Paul is saying that you know when you're a child it's easy to play jokes on you because you don't know any better how many of you have ever messed with your kids come on somebody I got your nose and they're like whoa he did it they're easy to deceive because they're naive. They don't know any better. That's just the state that they're in as they grow and mature. And Paul is equivocating this analogy to that, saying when you're not rooted in your relationship with Jesus, when you're not growing, when you're not becoming mature, it's, you're kind of easy to mess with because you don't know any better. Pastoral ministry is leading the flock to understand that Christ didn't just die to save you. He died to dwell in you. He didn't just die to save you. We often think of in terms of our relationship with Jesus, oh, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. And don't get me wrong, neither can I, but did you know that you can experience a little bit of heaven here on earth yes. as you engage in your relationship with Jesus? That you and I don't have to wait till we're dead to experience him. That he's alive and well here and through that experience, through that understanding and growing in his word and our relationship with him, that's how you and I become mature. Amen, church? So let's talk a little bit. Why does pastoral ministry exist? What should a pastor, pastoral ministry look like? Well, pastors, simply put, they must do the work of a shepherd. When you read through Scripture and you look at the work of the shepherd, that's what pastors are called to do. Number one, the shepherd must lead the sheep to the chief shepherd, who is Jesus, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. The chief shepherd, that's the man who's in charge. That's the one that all the lower level employees, pastors go to. Why? Because he's their authority figure. He's also their example. He sets the standard for the other uh, uh, ranch hands, work hands, other shepherds. He sets the example for them to follow. He's the one who determines their work and so on and so forth. The objective of a shepherd is to honor and serve the master and grow the flock. This is why we preach the gospel of Jesus, because when you meet the chief shepherd, when you experience his love and his care and his provision, you don't want anything else in life. As we just sang, nothing else compares to it. Shepherds have been given a tool in order to complete this task. This tool has various purposes that we're going to discuss briefly. This tool is called a shepherd's staff. To understand the role of a pastor, we have to understand the role of a shepherd. To understand the role of a shepherd, we have to look at what tools God has given them. Shepherds use the crooks to draw the sheep close to themselves in the flock. Throughout the book of Romans and Corinthians, Paul is shepherding the flock. He's teaching the fact that we need one another. We all have gifts and abilities that we need one another so that we can hold one another accountable, come under the authority of scripture, grow together, serve one another, be the church, plug into another, excuse me, the extended body of believers. When Christians are not a part of the community of believers, it puts you at risk. When you and I are not plugged into the body of Christ, it puts us at risk. Best illustration that I could find to exemplify this is this picture, if you can go ahead and show it. This is kind of what it's like when you and I are plugged into the body of Christ. See how the herd is kind of protecting one another in the background? And when you and I are living away from the herd, the community, the body of Christ, when you and I are trying to do this thing called solo Christianity, which isn't found in Scripture, by the way, When you and I are trying to do lone wolf Christianity, it makes us an easy target where we're separated from the flock. We're separated from the herd. And I hear it all the time. Pastor, why do I need a church if I attend online? Can I humbly say that you cannot experience what we experience here together in person online? It's one thing to use online as supplemental. I, I, love, I love the option of going online when I'm on vacation so that I can sit poolside and send text messages to the digital media team and worship team harassing them. One of the gifts that God has given me, harassment. And it's amazing because I can sit there, but I can also be ministered to and connect with the body to a degree because I'm away and I'm not able to attend in person And I want to challenge you again that I love the online option, but the body of Christ was made to meet and gather like this, in person. When you're online, you don't get to experience those beautiful moments where you're in prayer during worship and somebody comes up and puts their hand on your shoulder and says, I just felt led to pray. It's hard to hold one another accountable when you're never around. Being online... It's supposed to be supplemental, but it's not how you and I do this thing that we call living for Christ. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 5 says it so clearly. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. This is the risk that you and I run when we're not gathering together. I've often heard the statement, I can love Jesus without being a part of a church. And that's kind of like saying, I can be a mechanic, a car mechanic, and never work on a car. You might have the certification, but it doesn't really mean a whole lot until you start living it out. And so it is with Christianity. You might have the title Christian. You might have put your faith in Jesus. But when that relationship with him really comes alive is when you connect to the body of Christ, his body. Amen, church? Come on, somebody. Scripture says to live out the Word of God. A part of being a Christian follower is living out the Word of God, and that means we are connected to one another. Turn your neighbor and say, I'm connected to you. All right, now stop it. The, shepherd, the shepherd's responsibility, though, is to ensure that the sheep are together. To draw them near to one another as well as drawing near to Christ. Which leads to point number three. Shepherds must protect the flock. David, It's noted that David killed a lion and a bear because they came after the flock. That was his responsibility. He was a shepherd. And there's too many scriptures to pull from this morning church that exemplify that in the last days or even in the days before. We read about it in biblical times that there will be uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. That there will be those who come into the church seeking to divide the church, bringing false doctrine into the church that will mislead the flock. It's the shepherd's job, it's the church's leadership's job to stop that from happening. And often we think in terms of, well, pastor, you could could never, Christians aren't called to throw someone out of the church. Yes, they are. Scripture is so clear that if there's a wolf in sheep's clothing that is taking the sheep of God away, that you are to take care of that problem. And we often think in terms as if that's unjust. Can I just tell you this morning, his ways are just? Amen, church? Shepherds must protect the flock. Pastors are still called to protect the flock from wolves in sheep's clothing, false doctrine, and overall, the spirit of the age. Number four, shepherds feed the sheep. It's what they're called to do. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. For those of you who have studied this scripture in the past, you know that we could dive into this for the next couple weeks. The fact that Jesus is using a different term for love, and each time he asks a question, and we'll get to the original Greek, Greek language another day, but the point is this, is Jesus, when he says, feed my sheep, he's calling Peter into ministry. He's reinstating Peter. He's redeeming. You remember Peter denied him three times. It's not a coincidence that Jesus is asking him three times, and he's reinstating Peter into full-time ministry, and feed my sheep means that you're going to build the body of Christ, and how do we build the body of Christ? By preaching the word of God, the only thing that could ever feed his sheep. He responded by saying, teach the word of God in such a way that it equips and empowers the church. The pastoral shepherd's responsibility to the church and flock is to feed the sheep the word of God. And I'd include in this providing space for the work, gifts, and movement of the Holy Spirit to take place. So let me ask the question as we head towards our close. I didn't say we are closing. I said we're heading there. (laughs) This is closing number one. Have you ever wondered... What does a pastor do all day? No, pastor, you liar. Have you ever asked the question, what does a pastor do? And I've, you know, I never take it as an insult, but I've had individuals who come up and they say, Pastor, I just assumed that you prayed all day long in your office. I've had other people come up and they say, you know, I figured I'm so sorry, pastor. Now I understand, but I used to think that being a pastor was an easy gig that you worked one day a week, Sunday mornings, all you had to do was put together a sermon and that was it. And so I ask you the question, what, does, what do these four things, feeding his sheep, protecting his sheep, bringing others into the community, let's contextualize this what does it look like in 2022, being a pastor and fulfilling these four areas of a shepherd? Because the reality is, is that you and I, we have a pretty clear, um, we have a pretty clear understanding of what the apostles, disciples, and early church, how they pastored what they did, because we can read it. You and I can go in and we see that, for example, Paul and Peter, that they were constantly traveling around planting churches. And planting a church means that you're gathering a group of people, that you're witnessing and ministering them, growing them from immature Christians to mature Christians in Christ, that you're adding governing authority over them, which is where we get elders from because it was a church government that needed to be uh, set in place, church governance that needed to be set in place. And so we read how they structured it, and then we read the constant. uh, connections that they were making with people and doing outreaches. And we also understand that they sometimes got called to the political uh, carpet where they were called before the Sanhedrin and told, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they respectfully say, No. no. And we know that they faced backlash from that and pressures, and we know that there was a lot going on within the church between dealing with various different personalities and growing people who come from various religious backgrounds and trying to get people to understand that we're no longer saved by the law, we're saved through grace, but we're still called to uphold His commands. And all of these points are being taught. And meanwhile, the the first generation, I would call them the first generation pastors, disciples, apostles, they're going through trials and more so than church divisions and those who are falling away from the Lord, which Paul says, he says, I've received all of these beatings and yet I still face the pressure where I care so much about the church, but they're growing and there's something called growing pains. And we understand through scripture What being a shepherd looked like in the early New Testament church. So would you allow me the ability this morning, church, can I contextualize what being a pastor looks like in 2022 a little bit? This isn't the complete list. But this is kind of what a pastor does in 2022, and understand that anytime I use the word organize, what I'm talking about is reaching out to people, allowing schedules to align, and going through, uh, making sure that not only everybody can gather, but challenging people, growing people, making sure that there's events on the church calendar, and, and we'll get into that, but "organized" kind of means it's like this. I could say that, you know, um, a, a, a different ministry leaders helped organize Sunday morning, and what that means is think about what it takes to come here on a Sunday morning. You probably come here on a Sunday and you're greeted by somebody in the parking lot. You're greeted by another person at the door who might help you down to the kids' ministry area where you check in a person and then you take your kids to class. You come up, sit in service. There's an awesome worship service. Don't we have an awesome worship leader? Isn't Mike awesome? <laughs> sings, a, sings a couple powerful songs that we get into the Word of God, we go home, but we never stop and think about the fact that those parking lot attendants went through training that somebody had to write the curriculum for and teach them and then schedule them and find out what works for them. And then same thing with the people who stayed at the door, that they went through training and background clearances for to be in our kids' area, and then they had to be trained and equipped to do the work. And then you go downstairs, you don't realize all of the scheduling to get people to fulfill those stations and the programs that have been designed to make sure that everything's up to date so that you can check your child in, and then all of the curriculum that was organized and the hours that went in. And yet I can solidify and keep on going about how Mike meets for worship practices and studies the music and hands it out to the worship team, and then they practice and then they put it together. And we could go on, but I could summarize all of that up by saying we organize the Sunday. So when I use the term organize, please take that into consideration. What does a pastor do in 2022? A pastor spends time each week writing biblical sermons that connect with the culture and ministry context of a church while also taking in consideration the church's personal needs and where they are at as a congregation. Leads weekly Bible studies and studies the curriculum that is taught at those weekly Bible studies. Provides ministry for major holidays, Christmas Eve, Easter, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Veterans Day, etc. Plans special holiday services accordingly, such as creating themes, finding ways to connect with guests that will be on the property, communicating to all ministry departments and people involved, and so on. A pastor plans, organizes and executes church events, ministry programs, and leads outreaches. Everything from theme, decoration, supplies, promotion, setup teams, tear down teams, etc. Etc. The pastor ensures that the church is moving forward in unity, that God's preferred future and vision is being accomplished, while also overseeing finances, budgets, manages the facilities and various ministry departments and teams. The pastor develops, empowers, and invests in ministry leaders, seeking to give them insight, direction, leadership to each ministry department and volunteer leader that is present, while challenging them in such a manner that it doesn't break them. Managing the yearly, weekly, and seasonal calendars to bring organization to every area of the church. The pastor is always also undergoing personal development by setting aside study time, attending conferences throughout the year, seeking guidance and growth through mentor relationships. A pastor officiates weddings, premarital counseling, funerals, services alike, baptisms, baby dedication, and so on and so forth. A pastor attends to emergency situations at any given time and is always on call to be prepared to handle the difficult situations. I've been in situations where I come home from a long week of ministry and doing whatever God, there was one time when I I came back from a missions trip and I arrive at home and I get a phone call that one of my students in youth ministry attempted to take her own life. So I check my daughter in on the baby monitor and make sure that she's okay and hug and kiss my wife that I hadn't seen in over two weeks and head to the hospital. If the church is growing, then additional responsibilities such as township meetings, architect meetings, and additional board meetings may be required. And without going into the specific intricacies of a pastor's family life being directly attached to his or her position, the inevitable complicated situations that arise culturally or getting into the fo- any type of form of division within the church and the responsibilities of the pastor in those circumstances, let's minimize all of this by going and just summarizing all of these things into job titles titles. A pastor is a counselor, a preacher, a teacher, a ceremonial efficient, efficient, first responder to emergency situations, team builder, leadership developer, organizer, administrator, biblical curriculum writer, creative content creator, and analyst, church visionary, evangelist, worship leader, small group facilitator, project manager, missions coordinator, and the list goes on. should try living it, buddy. (laughs) And it is for these reasons why we are at a place that most people don't realize where there are no more pastors coming out of seminaries. Over the past eight months, I have sought and considered and looked into hiring an associate pastor. And in the four, three to four surrounding states around us, I have called all of their district offices for our our denomination, which handle and monitor between 1,400 and 1,800 pastors, and they don't have a single resume to give me. So then I go to the universities, one that's over in Phoenixville, Valley Forge University, my alma mater, And I call and ask how many they graduated from last year, because you have to understand that when I graduated as a pastor, I was one of 40, and at that time, the school could not keep up with the demand for pastors. With 40 to 50 per graduating class, most of us already had our positions by junior year. And I call them, and I ask how many pastors they graduated last year, and they say three. because it's challenging enough to be a pastor without having to deal with political turmoil. It's hard enough to be a pastor without somebody screaming at you because you don't enforce masks. It's hard enough to be a pastor without somebody accusing you of taking their rights away because you're pro-life. We need to be in prayer over our pastors. And I believe that it's for this reason that what ministry looks like as far as individuals receiving their calling is going to look a whole lot different in our day and age. We're used to pastors going from youth, teenagers, to graduating high school and going into seminary and coming out, and I believe that God's changing that formula, that we're going to start seeing more and more pastors come from in-house, within the church, being raised up to shepherd in that same church. And I don't, want, I don't want to make this seem too heavy because I also hope that I can articulate that there's nothing like being a pastor. There's nothing like serving the body of Christ. There's nothing like this calling. And had I not known that I was called, I wouldn't be doing this because it's knowing the fact that God called me that sustains me on the difficult days. And it's that calling, the most satisfying thing about being a pastor is that that calling is, is satisfied, that I know, that I know, that I know that what God has created me, the reason why I was born is being fulfilled. There's nothing that can match that. As a matter of fact, our worship leader, Mike, and I just feel like I should start getting in the habit of saying Pastor Mike, but that's neither here nor there, but Mike Mike volunteers, meaning he works his nine to five, and then he ends up putting anywhere from 20 to 30 hours and a week to stand up here and lead worship. And why would anyone do that? You have to ask yourself the question because I'm sure that Mike has challenges where things don't come together. There's technical difficulties, and sometimes we have bad days, and we put others in the crosshairs, and sometimes ministry leaders, they're the ones that are in the crosshairs, and he goes through his challenges. So ask the question, why would somebody go through all of that and then work a nine to five and also sacrifice time with their family and their loved ones so that they can serve the body of Christ. And I know that Mike can attest to this because he and I just talked about it. It's because nothing compares to this. Your 9 to 5 can't satisfy what this is like. There's no other job. There's no other position. And so it goes where I could go through our entire roster of ministry leaders, people like Lee Predmore, who put in over 30 hours a week voluntarily into our digital media, into the website, into the Facebook, into the notifications, into graphics. Can we give it up for these guys? Why does anyone do that? Because there's Sundays when somebody comes up to me and they say, Pastor, this is my first time visiting, but I've seen you guys online. That's the fruit of Lee reaching out in the ministry that God has called him to. There are families here because Lee was obedient to what God called him to do. There are people here because Mike was obedient. And I can go through every ministry leader. You know who you are. There's nothing like this biggest blessing in all this is that the calling of God is satisfied when shepherds respond in obedience. Moses was called to a specific ministry purpose. David was called to a specific purpose. The disciples were called to a specific purpose. Paul was called as the worship team comes. Romans chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, here it is, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of Christ. Why why does somebody do this? Have you ever read Scripture and wondered what it was like for the Israelites to walk through those parted seas? Have you ever wondered what it was like for Moses to arrive at the Red Sea and go, God, you're going to have to make a way, and then God makes a way. Being a pastor is like standing next to Moses in that moment where you see God part waters through impossible situations, where marriages that were on the brink of destruction are now healed and restored and the family unit is thriving, where addiction is broken and people who said that person, there's no hope for them, and now they've recovered and they're leading in ministries and they are thriving, not just surviving. There's nothing like what it's like to be in the room whenever God heals someone. Have you ever read scripture and you're sitting there and you're like, what was it like to stand next to Jesus when blind eyes were open? What was it like to stand next to Jesus when he said, Lazarus! And the grave began to shake and a dead man walked. What was it like in those moments? And I can tell you from a pastor's standpoint, It's like standing next to Jesus when he does it. It's nothing that compares to when I was a youth pastor standing next to a girl who had less than um, 10% of her hearing. Partially deaf and Jesus healed her. And she goes into her school and begins to witness and reach schools. And then she goes to the doctors so that they can verify that she was healed. And they indeed stood there and said, girl, something crazy happened to you. We've never seen this before. And she goes on to witness to her principle. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like whenever one of our own church members comes up front and says, those things, the tumors that they saw on my back are gone. There's nothing like it. If you've ever read scripture and you wondered what was it like to be in that moment, being a pastor is living in those moments. And it's such an incredible experience that no matter what hell throws at you, heaven has already provided for. And you can't put a price tag on it. You can't pull anybody away from it. Why? Because there's nothing like following Jesus and knowing that what I'm doing is the very thing that God Almighty, the creator put me on earth to do. And when you have that knowledge, when you know this is what God called me to, no one can pull you away from it. It has been and will continue to be such an honor to serve as pastor at C3. I love bragging on what God is doing. Talking to other pastors and saying, the fact that we average 80 salvations now a year. The baptisms, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the fact that our church, you've heard me say these numbers before. And for those who say, Pastor, why are you a numbers-driven person? Because numbers represent lives, and lives represent an eternity, and we celebrate that. Celebrate going from 80 in attendance to over 250 in less than three years. We celebrate what God is doing. We celebrate the families. I have so many people coming in and they say, Look at all the young families. I'm like, Yeah, serve in our kids' ministry. We need you. It's incredible you ever looked at scripture and wondered what is it like to live a life like that be a pastor and you'll find out it's incredible is it challenging yeah but my goodness what god does there's nothing that compares so as we head towards our third closing i want to ask you the question Does any of this resonate in your heart? Don't answer out loud. Does any of this resonate in you? Is there a sense of urgency when you hear things like only three graduates? Is there something in you that says, I've got to do something about this? My hope and my prayer is that C3 will be ascending church. Now, please hear me. That sounds great, but I I also kind of hate it. And here's why I say that, because that means we're going to raise up pastors and people for ministry, and then we're going to let them go. And I don't want to let go of anyone. Like, I, love, I love our church too much. Stay here forever. Die with me. But if we're going to pray to be a sending church, it means that we have to be willing to send our own children. that we know that God's plans for their lives are better than anything we could have ever imagined. There was one time when I gave a message like this and a boy was baptized in the Holy Spirit in the middle of a hallway at a youth convention. He was called into ministry and then his parents said, don't you throw your life away. And he's not following Jesus anymore. Church, if God has called our children to it, they're in his hands and that's the best place they could ever be in but what if God has called you you told me at the beginning of service that you would leave that door open for God to walk through that you would entertain the possibility of what if God has called me to this now don't be a liar what if would you stand with me Did he just call me a liar? No, I said don't be one and say you are. Would you bow your heads with me this morning, church? And over the past couple of weeks, we've been doing this to kind of identify that you're not alone. But we've been asking the question, do you feel led in evangelism? Do you feel led in prophets prophecy? Do you feel led in apostolic ministry? If that's you, would you raise your hand? And I'm going to ask that question today, but I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. And I'm going to ask that everybody have their head bowed and eye closed because everybody has a right to privacy in this holy, sacred moment. But I want to ask you the question. We sang a song, nothing else. We promised God that we would give Him our everything. What if God changed your career path? Well, pastor, I don't feel led in that direction. Okay, well, maybe it's in addition to your career. Maybe God is drawing you towards an official role of pastor in addition to your 9 to 5. And I want to ask you the question without anybody looking around. If that's you, if you feel any kind of conviction, prompting, passion, where you're like, Pastor, that what you've described sounds insane, but it also connects with me somehow. If that's you here this morning, would you slip a hand up? I see that hand. I see that. You can keep them up. Keep them up. Don't put them down. Don't put them down. Is there anyone else? say pastor something about pastor stands out right now I don't know what it is I don't have the clear picture I want to be clear by you raising your hand you're not signing up to a lifelong full-time ministry this is it you're simply saying there might there's something in my life right now that's identifying with this and it it very well might be the pastoral calling if that's you would you keep your hand up I see that hand I see that hand Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for every raised hand right now, that in the days to come, you would give them the boldness to walk in obedience. Lord, that you would call them out of the shadows. I believe that there's hands that are raised right now where they, they've been kind of reserved and pulled back with this uncertainty kind of feeling. I pray that you would draw them out into holy obedience and boldness. That as they take steps to discover what this calling looks like, that you would fill in the lines, that you would color in the uncertainties, and that you would remind them on a day-to-day basis, Lord, that they are in your hands. And no matter how risky this step of obedience is, Lord. You've already provided. We just don't know it yet. So, Lord, I pray that as we walk and step out in faith, that you will just continue to remind every person that either has their hand raised or raised their hand, that you're leading them and guiding them. I ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Now, real quick, before we celebrate what God has done, I'm gonna do something a little bit different than I have over the past couple weeks, and that's this. On the church center app, there's a pri- there's a private group. Once you send in a request, we will approve it. But it's called pastoral ministry for those who raise their hands. I want to sit down in a cohort with you, a group, and process this with you. You're not signing up for anything crazy. You're not so again. It's just for us to sit down. And as we've been talking about contextualizing things today, it's for the sake of that. Is it youth ministry, kids ministry, associate, pastor? What is it? And I want to sit down and I also want to go through some of the challenges that you will face if you're obedient to this. Because I believe that if we're going to preach the message, preach the gospel, we've got to give it all, baby. Amen? But I also want to talk to you about how God's big enough that he'll get you through any trial. And you'll not just get through it. You'll grow through it where trials prove to be building blocks in your calling and your life. I want that opportunity to sit down in a room of those who have raised their hands today. And I want to talk to you about our denomination has a school of ministry that can put you on a pathway to receive pastoral credentials at a very fair price. And I want to talk to you about what that education looks like if you're serious about this. And if you're serious about this, we will find a ministry, a place for you to serve here and begin to walk in that obedience. Well, pastor, what if it leads to a dead end? Put it in God's hands. He never leads us to dead ends. If you come to a place where are like, I'm just not sure where to go from here, he'll use that moment to get you to somewhere else. It's just how good he is. And I also, and this is the only time that I will ever threaten someone for raising their hand. I saw you. And if you're in our database, I know where you live. I will find you. That's just like that one movie says, I have a skill set. I will find you. Don't make me come looking for you. Willingly, you're being voluntold right now. Put your information in the group. I want to sit down and talk to you about what the next steps look like. This is no small thing. This is a world-changing movement that we're experiencing here, church. We need pastors. The world needs pastors. As Ezekiel said, without a shepherd, the animals around them devoured them. You and I can stop that with God's help. Can we give it up for those who took the bold step to raise their hands today? One more time, would you bow your head with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, and we thank you for, again, the world-changing movement that you're starting here through C3 and Foggleso. I believe that this movement of God will have a trajectory that we never could have imagined, that will last generation if the Lord tarries. So, Lord, I pray today, again, that as we leave here, help us to encourage those who raise their hands today. If we didn't ourselves raise our hands, help us to come alongside of those and say, You can do this. You got this. Help us to sharpen one another. Iron sharpens iron. Help us to hold one another accountable. But God, help us again to spur one another on in the things of the Lord. Now God, until we come back here and meet together again, may our lives reflect the glory of God. We ask in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said? One more time, would you give it up for God for what he's doing here? Amen. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.